So if you're here regularly, you know that we've been, uh, as a congregation, uh, sharing a Bible reading program, uh, working through the Bible together in a year. And uh, this week, we've been in the book of Leviticus. And so if you are uh, participating in that program and you're reading through the book of Leviticus, I know this is the, this is the time you're looking forward to. And so here you are. Uh, enjoy it uh, while you have it. It will be over very quickly. And so this morning, I'm going to preach on Leviticus 16, which is the structural and theological heart of the book. Uh, this is where things are moving to in the first 15 chapters, and this is utterly essential to understand what flows out uh, of, uh, a, or rather, in the rest of the book. So this is uh, an absolutely critical critical part. Uh, interestingly enough, just a lens in terms of importance, Leviticus tended to be the first book that uh, children were taught in synagogue. How often uh, do we as Christians look at this book? It's probably about one of the last ones we go to. And yet for Jewish children, it was one of the first. That, that actually is worth pondering. Leviticus 16, beginning at verse 1, this is the word of God. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He's to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law 
so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and do not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you, because on this day atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting 
ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place, for the tent of meeting and the altar, and for the priests, and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Right. Well, before we uh, consider this passage, let's pray. Lord, when we approach uh, these sections of your word, we are sometimes faced with the, the, the disjunction between uh, covenant eras and covenant communities. And so precisely because we have never seen this pageantry and because it is not an order that we ourselves are under, we sometimes just simply fail to see what you have revealed. We know that this is our failure, not yours. And so we ask that by your Spirit you will help us to benefit from your word. And Lord, I pray that you will help us in every way to understand, but even more importantly, help us to see uh, the, the fulfillment of the greater covenant that is ours in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you will help us even as we, as we work through uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy in the next number of weeks. I pray that you will enable us to understand the freedom and the liberty and the glory that is ours in Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll be able to help us understand uh, these shadows that arrive in the substance of Jesus and glory. So be with us, we pray. I ask that you will give us wisdom and guide us by your Spirit. Uh, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as mentioned, uh, this, this chapter really does represent uh, the heart of the book of Leviticus. You just won't really understand the book unless you have some understanding of what's going on here in this particular text. But you, you can't quite understand what's going on in this particular text fully unless you understand what's gone on before uh, in the first 15 chapters, and you can't understand those unless you understand Exodus and Genesis before that, but we won't, we won't keep tracking through every theme every Sunday, uh, I'll, I'll spare you. Uh, but 16.1 ob- obviously sets up an intratextual link. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. So what you're being told here is that this speech, this, the instructions for the Day of Atonement, are not floating in a vacuum. There's a historical and even more importantly a theological context in which these instructions are given. And those instructions are following the death of Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu. Now that will cast you back to chapter 10. You will recall uh, in chapter 8... You have the ordination of Aaron and his sons, the blood put on their you know, right, right ear, right thumb, right toe, 
hear, act, go, you know, the dominant side, so you're totally, so you're symbolically being totally consecrated to God. Uh, you will hear what he wants you to hear, you will do what you, he wants you to do, you will go where he wants you to go. That is your job. Uh, that, is what the, that is what the priest does. And we today, of course, are a kingdom of priests, as we are all priests. And so we are to be consecrated to the Lord that way, uh, from, from top to bottom, head to toe, quite literally, uh, we are to be consecrated to the Lord. So you have that. Then you have in chapter 9, sacrifice, and the Lord accepts it with fire from heaven. The fire from the Lord falls and consumes the burnt offering. Then in chapter 10, immediately fire from the Lord falls again and consumes not the burnt offering, but consumes the two sons of Aaron. And so what you have is supernatural fire which brings great joy, and you have supernatural fire which brings great grief. Nadab and Abihu die because they approach the Lord in an unauthorized way. They decide that rather than listening to God's instructions, they will simply come into the presence of the Lord as they choose to offer what they want to offer in their way. And the Lord shows at the very beginning of the ministry of the priesthood in Israel that he is a God who is not to be trifled with. He is a God who is not to be taken lightly. He is a God who you cannot approach any way and any time that you choose. You will recall that the book of Exodus ends with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle. And the question was, how can a holy God live in the middle of an unholy people? Leviticus is your answer. The first seven chapters, offering after offering after offering after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. You are not to read those seven chapters apart from the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle in Exodus 40. You are to read those chapters as telling you, if God is going to live amongst his people, there is going to need to be blood. There is going to need to be offering. There is going to need to be sacrifice. There is going to need to be atonement. It is going to, be have to, it is going to have to be offered again and again and again and again and again. Then you have all of these sacrifices listed out. The priests begin their ministry, and there's immediate death because the priests are not doing their job properly. And God says, my, the priest must teach the people the difference between the holy and the profane. That's the priest's job. If the priests themselves don't recognize the difference, then the people have no chance. Now, you end that, and you hit chapters 11 through 15. And it's about infectious skin diseases and mildew and, and uncleanliness. You're like, what, what is going on? First, the unclean animals, you will notice if you pay careful attention, are not unclean because they are the transmitters of diseases and viruses, the way some people want to take it, as if it's just a health code. It's not what's going on there at all. Or else you really wonder why Jesus declares all foods clean. If it's all about health, then, then, then Jesus didn't do us any favors by declaring unhealthy foods clean for us, did he? So that's, that's not likely to be the case. It's not likely to be the solution. Plus, some of the things that you're allowed to eat are, are just as diseased as the ones that you're not. No, birds, animals, wild and domestic, aquatic creatures, the ones that you're allowed to eat are ones that actually can 
conform to normal normative standards in those classes. The ones that you're not allowed to eat fall outside of normativity in class. And so what you're being taught there is that there are right and natural laws of conformity to God's structures. And where you find that, you find health and cleanliness. Where you find mix, hybrid, deformation, you need to stay away. Now, when it comes to everything that's unclean, one of the things that the Old Testament law does is it gives you baby steps. It gives you object lessons. And so it teaches you that physical uncleanliness, physical defilement, and if you go through the whole law, I mean, there probably wasn't a day on earth that someone wasn't defiled for something. I mean, if you got through a day without being ceremonially unclean, you're probably doing well. I mean, you, you could be defiled by, by a million different things, which is exactly the point. In this world, we are submerged in an environment of contamination. That's the point. And because we don't do well with abstractions, the nation of Israel is taught this physically. But the physical is to point to the spiritual reality. The point isn't physical at all. The point is, if you're living in this fallen world as a sinner, you are going to be virtually permanently spiritually defiled. Which is why you need to take all of these sacrifices and cleansing rituals seriously. In the same way that you recognize that you are basically physically unclean all the time. You are spiritually unclean all the time. It's an object lesson. The physical is pointing to the spiritual. We know this very well with the sacrifices. Why do the sacrifices have to be without blemish? There's no good reason. Well, God wants the best, sure. But the point ultimately is spiritual. That ultimately there needs to be a sacrifice that is without blemish morally and spiritually, and that's Jesus. And so the, the, the Old Testament law is forever giving you physical laws to show you every single thing you do in life matters because of God. There is not a single area of life that is detached from God, even to the point of, this is how you cut your hair. Why on earth does God care about sideburns? It's because, some people have ugly sideburns, that's why. Uh, but also, um, because... There isn't one square inch of your life that is irrelevant to God. And Israel learned you conform every moment of your day and existence to God's law. And they were taught that through physical categories. We have more freedom in the physical category because Paul has said you've grown up with the Spirit. But now we are to be internally, spiritually clean in our hearts. We are to be making sure that we are walking appropriately with the Lord by the Spirit. So, if you've been reading through Leviticus thoughtfully for the first 15 chapters, then you begin to recognize that we have a real problem in terms of defilement and uncleanness and sin. How can a holy God fellowship with us as his covenant community? How can a holy God fellowship with Israel? How can he live with Israel in the very middle of their covenant community? The great solution to this is Leviticus 16. 
the Day of Atonement. Reminder in verse 1. If you come into the presence of God in an unauthorized way, you will die. Does that mean then there's no access to God? No. But you need to be very careful in how you approach him. Verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. Same thing that happened in Nadab and Abihu. Why? For, reason, I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And this is what you're being told. You are a sinner. If you come into the presence of a holy God, you will die. It's very simple. In the same way that when God manifested himself on Sinai, if any animal or man touched the mountain, they, they were to die. You come into the presence of God, you will die. God is a holy God. You must not think, this is, one of the, this is one of the very interesting things about the tabernacle. The tabernacle, put in the very middle of the camp, runs, give, give two messages all at the same time. One is, God is a God who welcomes you into his fellowship. The other, slightly paradoxically, is if you come into the presence of God, he will kill you. And so now you need to sort those two things out. This gracious condescension of God that he will live with his people, but if you approach him, you die. So how do you, how do you start working those two messages together? Well, very carefully. Tell Aaron, do not show up here whenever you want in the way that you want. I will graciously give you access to my presence, but you will do it my way or you will die. There is no third position. This is how it must happen. There are animals selected for various sacrifices. Aaron needs to wash, bathing away impurity. Then he puts on very simple linen garments. Note the accent in verse 4. Linen tunics, linen undergarments, linen sash, linen turban. You will recall from Exodus that the priest dressed up like what? Like, like some sort of emperor. It had blue and the purple and the, the, the expensive gems on the breastpiece. He had the, the, the solid gold with steel. I mean, he, he dressed like royalty. When he did his functions in the tabernacle, he was acting as royalty. But not this day. This is the one day when the priest, the high priest, dresses like a slave. When you go into the holy presence of the king of kings, you don't come in strutting like your royalty yourself. When, he, when the high priest mediated God to the people, he dressed like royalty. But when he goes into the very presence of God, he dresses like a slave. Then he selects these the, the, the bull, verse 6, for himself. The high priest himself has sin that needs to be confessed, that needs to be atoned for. And then the two goats for the people of Israel. The high priest himself is also a sinner. This is why he can't just come into the presence of God, whatever he wants. It's extremely limited access, even for the most, quote-unquote, spiritual person in Israel. 
even the person at the top of the hierarchy of spirituality and religious importance isn't good enough to go into the presence of God on his own without bathing, without blood. Now that has to be a sobering reminder for the rest of the community. If your high priest can't come here, apart from cleansing and blood, how can you? How can anyone else enter the presence of God? The two goats are chosen, one to be slaughtered, one to be led out uh, into the wilderness. We'll look at that uh, in a moment. The incense is to burn and obscure the Ark of the Covenant. You create this incense cloud so that you can't really see God, and in the sense in which you're slightly hidden from God too. So even when Aaron is allowed to come into the Holy of Holies, he is not, he doesn't have unfettered free access. There's still obscurity here. There's still an opaqueness. There's still a mystery because of the holiness of God. Well, what does he do? Well, he comes in, incense, he has blood from the sacrifices, he sprinkles the blood around the Holy of Holies, on the atonement cover. He sprinkles it on the altar, outside. He sprinkles it around the tent of meeting. In other words, what's going on is Aaron is systematically putting blood everywhere that it matters. There needs to be a comprehensive cleaning from uncleanliness. So it goes on the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, on the mercy seat. Yes, it does. Interestingly enough, 2, verse 13 says, He has put incense on the fire before the Lord, and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. Remember, the tablets of the covenant law, this is the law that's been broken. And so breaking God's covenant law brings death. The only way that sinners can have access to God is if the broken covenant law is covered by substitutionary blood. So when God looks down, when the cherubim look down, what they see is blood over the broken law. If they don't see that, then the sinner dies. So that he will not die. Only blood can cover broken law or else sinners die. He then slaughters the goat for the sin offering of the people, does the same with it as he did with the bull's blood. He makes atonement for the most holy place, verse 16, because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. They would have been many. But whatever they are, the blood atones for them. Now, verse 20 Aaron has finished making atonement uh, for the most holy place, the tent of meeting. They shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. So you have two things going on here. One is you have the shedding of blood and the slaughtering of animals. But you then have this live goat, and the high priest symbolically transfers all of the sin of the people onto, the, onto this goat. So he puts both of his, his hands on its head, and, and he 
transfers, he passes over, he passes on, he transmits the sin of the people to the goat. And once this goat is representing the sin of the people, it cannot stay in the community of God. It has to be taken out. It has to be lost. It has to be abandoned. The shed blood of the, of the, of the offerings, and then they, you know, they will be burned up outside the camp. That's propitiation. That's the pouring out and satisfaction of God's wrath. But the scapegoat represents what some have referred to as expiation. Removal. Where the sin on the goat, the, the sin is transferred to the goat so that the sin can be removed. Both of these concepts are utterly, indispensably important, not only for understanding the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16, but for understanding your salvation if you are in Christ. You must understand these concepts. God's wrath is poured out and satisfied. All of our sin is removed from us. Propitiation and expiation. The satisfaction of the wrath of God. The removal of our sin. This is what the Day of Atonement is all about. How can God live in the midst of an unholy people? He must punish sin and he must purify the people. His justice must be upheld and the sin of the people needs to be removed. These two goats, the one that's the burnt offering, the one that's the scapegoat, give you both elements of the Day of Atonement. You need to understand that. Now, the one that's slaughtered and the blood that's been sprinkled, it's taken out. All of its remains are burned up outside the camp, not inside the camp, not inside of the community. And, there, and then verse 29 uh, and 30 and 34 give you a bit of a, a, a literary structure at the end of the book. This is a lasting ordinance. This is a lasting ordinance. This is a lasting ordinance. Uh, verse 29 and 34 form a literary inclusio. That it's brackets. It be, it, the, the text begins that way and ends that way. This is a lasting ordinance. This is a lasting ordinance beginning and end. You're also told in the middle in case, in case you forgot. So, so this is really important. Uh, you're being given this, this repetition and this literary structure to remind you this has to keep happening. It has to keep happening. It's not once for all. You need to keep doing this year after year after year after year. Why? Because no sooner did this pageantry of atonement finish than it needed to be done again. No sooner were people clean than they were unclean. No sooner was their sin removed before they started sinning again. It was utterly impossible to keep ahead in atonement. You, you, there, there, you could never get ahead. You could never even keep up. You were always playing catch-up. You were always in the past. 
even even if you know the Lord had said, "Listen, listen, we've been doing this for for a thousand years. Next year is the last day of atonement. After that, just keep your nose clean and no more sin. I've done this enough." The entire community would have been dead the moment the flame stopped burning on that burnt offering. It happened again and again and again because it actually never worked. That's the whole point. You keep doing it because it doesn't work. You're perpetually sinful. You are perpetually unable to come into the presence of God. The whole thing, at one level, is a pageantry of failure. Failure of the people. Failure of the system. Because never once did any one of those bulls or goats actually atone for sin. In the same way that the goat really didn't take your sin away, it was an act. The burnt offerings didn't take away your sin either. Burning up a goat didn't satisfy God's moral standard uh, and take care of the fact that you were a, a, a lying, sneaking thief. And if you're really thoughtful, you knew that even then. The, the Aaron praying over that goat's head really didn't take away my last full year's worth of sins. And if you were thoughtful, you knew that. The whole thing, year after year after year, was this. It was a massive I.O.U. That's all it was. Here, here, God. Here's a goat and an I.O.U. for my last years of sins. Here, God. Here's, here's a bull and, and an I.O.U. for the last year of my sins. It was a lasting ordinance because it didn't work. Until a greater high priest came. And the book of Hebrews tells us that that high priest wasn't in the order of Aaron. He was in the order of Melchizedek. And one of the texts says this, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The law is prophetic. It points forward to what we need. According to Hebrews, Leviticus 16 was just, it was just shadows. It wasn't the substance. The substance only comes in Christ. Endlessly repeated year after year because it didn't work, because it was impossible for it to work. Animals can't take away human sin. And so what you need is you, you actually end up in a place where you say this. This is what I need. I need a priest without sin and a sacrifice without blemish. We know what you get with Jesus. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. One sacrifice forever makes perfect those who are being made holy. 
Hebrews also says this, The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Where were the animals burnt? Outside of the camp. Where does Jesus die? Outside of the camp. Jesus propitiates the Father. He satisfies the Father's wrath outside of the camp. And he takes the people's sin outside of the camp. He bears our sins in his body on the tree, Peter says. And so what you had, both goats, propitiation and expiation, both are fulfilled only in Jesus Christ. Now, how many times has Christ died on the cross? Once. Because it actually worked. In Jesus, you actually, for the only time in history, have an atonement that atoned for anything. It was the Day of Atonement. It wasn't the IOU, it was the check. It was actually cash. It was exactly what was needed at that time, no delay. The Father's wrath was satisfied and our sins were removed. And something very significant happens in Matthew 27, 51, when Jesus dies. There's a curtain. A curtain that said, if you come in here, you will die. And that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. The old covenant law said, here's a barrier. If a sinner passes this barrier into the presence of God, that sinner will die. In the death of Jesus, the barrier was destroyed. In the death of Jesus, the, 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 the curtain that said, stay out on penalty of death, is now redundant. There's no point to it. It's gone. It's removed. It's destroyed. Because now, through Jesus, where you actually have an atonement that atones, where you actually have someone whose sacrifice can take away sin, there's access. People are welcome to come in now. To the point where, in the book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, the bride of the Lamb, so you can't just make it a city, or you've totally destroyed the metaphors. But the bride of the Lamb is a city, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, and its, and its dimensions are enormous. It's ridiculously huge. And, but they're totally symmetrical. It's a cube. You go, I, listen, I'm, I'm not an engineer or an architect, or, or the son of an engineer or an architect, but, but I don't think cities are usually designed as cubes. This is not a proper city structure. Then you start thinking, well, why would you have, and, and the dimensions are basically, the dimensions each way run from about New York City to Houston, Texas, as a cube city. My goodness, what kind of apartments are there? You know, like, trying to go, what is this? What's going on here? You think, no, 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 no. To someone, th- those dimensions are far, far, far bigger than the, than the dimensions of Israel. So what you're being told is that, that these are unimaginable dimensions. They, they, they literally couldn't understand how big this was. It's like if, if I were to say, the New Jerusalem is zillions and zillions of miles wide. You're not supposed to take it literally. You're supposed to be impressed by the overwhelming size and grandeur. But you're wondering, why would, why would this New Jerusalem be this massive, overwhelming cube? So I think, well, well there's... Where, where do we find those kinds of dimensions? Well, nowhere for, for sheer size, but, but you do find one cube, one place in Scripture, and that's the Holy of Holies. The dimensions of the Holy of Holies is a perfect cube. 
It's the only place in the Bible where you have something that's the perfect cube. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. In the new heavens and new earth, if the whole point is that we are in the presence of God, then what better way of depicting that than with the dimensions of the Holy of Holies? The point in the Old Covenant was, if you come into this small cube, you will die. But through Jesus, the trajectory that brings us into the consummation eschatologically in the new heavens and new earth is, before you would die in this small place. Now, the Holy of Holies is so unimaginably big, you can't get out of it. It's your city. It's a city that's almost indescribably and unimaginably bigger than your whole country. You can't possibly get out of it. Before, if you went in, you would die. You couldn't go in. Now you can't get out because of what Jesus Christ has done. No longer stay out or die. It's come in and live. It's so massive, you can't get out of it if you want to. There's no border. There's no periphery. You'll never get out of the Holy of Holies because in the new heavens and new earth, the whole thing is characterized by living in the presence of God. That's what the Holy of Holies in the Old Covenant was, but you couldn't get into it because there was actually a day of atonement in between where Jesus Christ died on the cross, where he paid the penalty for our sin, where he made his people clean. And now, forevermore because of that, we have access into the Holy of Holies, and in the future, we will never get out of it. Well, may God help us to care about that. Uh, may God help us to, to look forward to that day. All because of what Jesus Christ did. And even in contrast, to thank God quite literally that we are not under the order of the Old Covenant, but we live in the order of fulfillment and future glory. I'm going to ask our musicians to come uh, and lead us in a closing song of praise.